Welcome to The Reload, where we help unconventional leaders craft the life they truly want by questioning the assumptions they have about how life works. My name is Sean, and I'll be your host on this journey. As a performance coach and special operations combat veteran, I help high-performing executives kick ass in their careers while connecting with deeply powerful insights that fuel their lives. Alrighty, I'm going to try to make this a quick one today because I've got a call coming up. <laughs> So anyway, hopefully you'll benefit from the uh, succinct and direct approach. Recently, I was doing a coaching session between a CEO and that CEO's direct report. Obviously, both of them have tremendous impact on their organization. Both of them are highly credentialed, highly experienced executives and it was interesting to me because in the 360 review process that I was doing for my client, which is the junior of the two, one of the things that came up in the interview with the, the CEO, so the supervisor or the, the manager of, of my client, was that there, there's a sense of guardedness in my client, there's a sense of kind of uh, needing to be polished at all times, that the presentation has to be just right in every instance. And yeah, there's some extra background information around that that is probably not too relevant for today's recording. But the interesting piece for me was when I was doing this joint coaching session and you know, ultimately the goal of the coaching session was to ensure that the two of them have the best working relationship possible. And for those who have been listening to this channel or this show for a while, uh, you're probably not too flummoxed or surprised to hear that for me, it's really about the best relationship possible, whether it's a working relationship or an interpersonal relationship in a lot of ways, it ends up being one and the same. So, in going through this joint coaching experience with the two of them, it was interesting to hear the CEO's observation about himself and how he has a characterization of being standoffish. And so, looking at this, you know, I have two executives in front of me. Both of them create an air or an aura of inscrutability. Meaning that those around them don't really have trust or confidence that what they're seeing is all that is there. You know, there's always a sensation that there's something behind the curtain as it were. And what's interesting for me around that is that both leaders come at it from different perspectives or different motivations. Now, in the case of my client, which is the, the junior of the two that I was coaching, there is a certain trepidation around saying the right thing or coming up with the right answer in meetings. And the desire to be perceived as competent 
the desire to be perceived as knowledgeable and somebody that others can put their confidence in. Now, in the case of the CEO, at least from what he was willing to share, there is a concern around chumminess. And this is something that I have received or have heard mentioned by numerous executives where they feel, and not just executives, but also, you know, managers and directors, but where they feel that, you know, if I get too personal here, if I allow too much of myself to be seen, then we're going to get too friendly. And I'm in a position where I may have to fire one of these people and that I may have to uh, cost them their livelihood. Now we'll get into that in a second here, but to me what's what's striking, at least up front, is how both of them are creating a bit of an arms, well, not a bit, <laughs> noticeably arms length experience with those around them. And at least in the United States of America, there's an expression that people want to do business with, and we could translate that into have relationship with those that they know, like, and trust. And if we are compromising the knowing, and more specifically, we might say that one has to be knowable. And if we make ourselves inscrutable, well, then it's really difficult for people to get to know us. And then by extension, it's really hard for them to trust us. And I guess we could also argue it makes it hard for them to like us. So, you know, here we are with these two different individuals who create a similar effect, albeit from different approaches. And it got me thinking again about this concept of vulnerability. And so frequently when I work with individuals and I ask them about being vulnerable, their first reaction is generally something to the effect of, oh, that's some of that woo-woo uh, kind of like uh, Care Bear not meant for serious business world, serious business activities kind of bullshit. And then when I start to push into this area of inquiry and I start to, to really explain, you know, or, or not explain, but ask, right? Ask clarifying questions around, okay, what would be vulnerable for you? How would vulnerability show up? Then the conversation tends to move into some critique around, oh, well, being vulnerable means that I'm weak. And so the initial context with which people are relating to the term vulnerability, the concept of vulnerability, is one sort of that has kind of like a military tone to it. Where is it that we have weaknesses that can be exploited? And so then I ask, okay, well, you know, what if, what if we reframe or if we shift the lens a little bit and we say that vulnerability is a willingness to put ourselves into harm's way, a willingness. What, if anything, does that do to your perception of being vulnerable? 
you know, if you see somebody who is willing to put themselves in harm's way, do we view that as brave? Do we view that as requiring courage? And most of the time, people are willing to agree that, yeah, it, it takes courage to put yourself in harm's way, or at least what you perceive to be harm's way. And so it creates this wonderful conversation where it's like, okay, well, if foundationally, we can see that it does take courage to put ourselves in harm's way. And we can see how that can be connected to this concept of vulnerability. What is it? Once we get past all the gruff, judgmental, uh, sort of reactive snapshots, what is it that keeps you from being vulnerable? And of course, well, I guess I shouldn't say of course, but most frequently what I have heard from clients, whether that's one-on-one or two-on-one or uh, in some sort of group retreat setting, is we start to sketch out, you know, what are the examples of vulnerability? And, you know, generally it's like sharing my true emotions, sharing my true hopes and dreams, the things that I don't share with anybody because they, they're so inspiring for me. They're, they're so inspiring, and if I were to achieve it, it would be so amazing that it's actually scary that it might be possible. And things of that nature the things that people are, are really sensitive about. And so then it's a, it's asking, okay, well, physically, what would that look like in your life if you were to do that? And it's, oh, okay, it would be a conversation with so-and-so, and that conversation would go like this. And they insert the words and all the feels that they would be having and et cetera, et cetera. And then the question remains, okay, well, you know, if we can acknowledge that vulnerability is an act of courage or re- at least requires courage, And if we can recognize that quite frequently it's connected to hopes and dreams that are so profound for us, moving for us, that we don't really put them on display, or we don't ever put them on display for some people, what is it that keeps you from engaging in that? And invariably, the answers are, it's really hard. Or, I'm really scared. Now, the person may not use the word scared. Most of my clients do not perceive themselves as individuals who are fearful. And so then they say uh, <laughs> wonderful things like, oh, um, you know, I would, I would have a sense of trepidation around that. Or, I would be hesitant. Or, I would feel uncertain about making that revelation. Or I would have a a bit of discomfort in beginning or um, facilitating that kind of conversation. (laughs) It's like, that's fear. All of that is fear. Now, it may be gradients of fear. It may not be terror, which is fine. I I mean, I would like to hope that people are not walking around terrified all the time. But I think it's beneficial for us to acknowledge the root emotion so that we can actually be honest with ourselves about our behavior and the various judgments that we maintain that keep us from accessing certain choices, 
forget who it was that coined that phrase, uh, there are limits, but only for the limited. And in a lot of ways, coaching is about trying to get people to have more options, more opportunity. So let's take it back to you know what we're looking at here, vulnerability in relationship. And if we're looking at the two executives that I was working with, what might be opened up for them if they were to share more of themselves? In the case of the more junior executive, what if that person were more willing to let rough ideas fly? What if it didn't have to be so poised and so polished and so put together all the time? Would that create a greater sense of humanness? A greater sense of relatability? You know, part of what makes us human is our capacity to make mistakes and then to overcome those mistakes or errors in judgment. And at least here in the United States of America, we have, um, you know, this wonderful popular culture example in the form of comic book heroes, superheroes. We have the Superman character. We have the Batman character. And they're both, you know, badass and cool and da-da-da-da-da. But in many ways, the Superman character is unrelatable. I mean, for starters, he is an alien to the planet Earth, so he's not actually human. But more importantly, it is the fact that he is largely invincible. I mean, sure, there's kryptonite, which is his version of an Achilles heel. But by and large, in most of the activities that you know Superman would be engaged, stopping criminals and, you know, rescuing people from aircraft that have malfunctions and, you know, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. There's really, there is absolutely no risk to him. Whereas with Batman, Batman is a regular person who has just equipped himself with all kinds of tools and technology that allow him to do quote unquote superhuman things. And also written into the Batman character is a certain darkness, is a certain fallibility. You know, in, in contrast, Superman is wholesome and amazing. Now, in later years, the Superman character was taken through certain sort of character corruptions, and, and in part, I think that was a response to this feeling that, well, Superman's great. I mean, he's inspiring because, wow, who wouldn't want to be Superman? But in the long run, there was something too unachievable, too unrelatable about him. And part of what makes the Batman character so compelling is the various things that he wrestles with, including his fallibilities. So where is it in the case of that junior executive, that being more openly flawed, as it were, would actually create tighter relationships, 
And in the case of the CEO and his concern about, well, you know, I may have to fire one of these people on my team if they're not performing. And therefore, I feel like I have to cut out a lot of my personhood. I have to cut out being open and and sharing of myself. Well, I mean, one of the reasons why we had that joint coaching session was because there seems to be a an unapproachability there that's hampering people in the organization from being effective in their job. And to me, at least, I think that there is a balancing act that can be done where it is measured on communication, direct communication. And in the business context, and I think also if we look at sort of ancestral examples from human evolution, we look at it from a sort of hunter-gatherer tribal context, there is precedent for being in very close, very tight union. And, oh, by the way, this is also, I think, something that is a parallel example to what I experienced in military special operations in combat and also in training, but training for combat, is that you can have groups that are very much oriented toward high performance that have a number of potential obstacles or risks that they have to navigate, whether it's in the business context or the hunter-gatherer context of, you know, hey, do we find enough food to survive? Or the special operations uh, concept of, you know, we're going to get shot uh, on this operation that we're about to go to. But we can be in, in very close, tight union we can have this expectation that everyone is doing their absolute best to look out for the welfare and the success of the group. And that in order for the group to be healthy, there's a, a certain standard, right? So if you imagine, um, I don't know, just imagine you have like a sheet of paper in front of you and halfway down the sheet of paper from the top, you draw a horizontal line. And notionally, that horizontal line represents kind of the the average standard of conduct and performance. Can we go above that standard? Yeah, and that's normally when people are super happy with your performance, and that's like when you start getting looked at for promotion, and everybody's like smiling, and I mean, wow, it's amazing, yay. But then we can also go below that line. And I think there's a balancing act in there. If you spend too much time below the the average standard, then that's typically when, you know, bosses are going to start to look at and say, hey, or tribal chieftains or, you know, whatever, they're going to start to look and say, hey, you know, what's going on here? Are you net-net contributing or detracting from the success survivability, thriving, whatever you want to call it, of this group. And you could break that down even further into like a, you know, married couple or whatever. And so taking a look at if you are the boss and you are contemplating, oh man, you know, like 
should I really share of myself here? Cause I'm, you know, you might have to like can one of these people or multiple of these people. I think you can, I think you can communicate. Hey, ultimately we have a standard of conduct here. And just as I am happy with you when you exceed the standard, I can also bear in mind that you're not going to be able to fire on all cylinders at all times. And that there will be times when the band, the tribe, the team, the organization is going to soak up some of your slack and it's going to be redistributed elsewhere because you're in a down phase. You know, whether that's dealing with some sort of chronic illness or family emergency or you just have your head up your ass on a couple things and make, you know, a couple sort of bad business decisions or relationship decisions. But that on the average or on the whole, we are at that that standard that we that 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 horizontal line. You know, how do we communicate that though? I think as senior leaders, it's incumbent on them to be clear. Say, hey, this is what I expect. And to also bank when people exceed the standard instead of having standard creep. And I think that is one of the areas that is a real stumbling block for a lot of teams is that if you perform above standard, it's very common for that horizontal line that I was, that notional horizontal line that I was talking about earlier to just get moved up. And then we end up in this sort of pressure cooker environment. But to communicate clearly, hey, this is the standard. And for the times that you exceed it, you can think of it as banking credit for times invariably when you're going to be below it. And how do we as leaders keep a holistic view of, okay, yeah, on, on the whole, the person is contributing. And sure, there may be some individual items that people want to polish up and, you know, sort of get into more appropriate proportion or what, what have you. But ultimately, beginning to make that communication happen so that people actually do understand, okay, what is the system here? And then another thing that I can, I think helps leaders who are interested in sharing more of themselves, but who are worried about getting too chummy with their team is to, from the outset, communicate, don't put me in an awkward spot. You can or we can have a, an amazing relationship with one another. But here are the things that if you do them will put me in a position where I'm going to have to terminate your employment or I'm going to have to drop this relationship or you know what, whatever scenario you're envisioning here. And I think that that's a conversation that a lot of people don't have because it's an awkward one to have. But I think if there was greater clarity from the beginning around, hey, this could be amazing. Just stay away from these things because if you do these things, well, then you're going to see a different version of me. Now, obviously introduces one other hurdle, which is the leader's own personal attachment. 
And where do they become emotionally invested in somebody? Where do they become personally biased in favor of somebody? Oh, you got me. Well, almost. In that respect, or to that particular concern, that, I believe, is the cost of leadership. When you put your hand up and you accept that promotion to being even just a, a simple team leader, not even a CEO or any of the uh, other ranks that exist, but just the first time that you start leading other people. When you put your hand up to accept that responsibility, you are putting yourself in a position where you are required to keep the best interests of the team or the organization at the forefront of your mind. And so you as the individual leader or manager are obligated to constantly remind yourself what is best for the whole and how you stay true to that is largely a function of your inner reflections. And of course, you can tack onto that various tactical things like how do you maintain truth tellers in your network who can give you an accurate view of perhaps when one of your favorites has stopped performing. And truth tellers can be in the form of raw data, very quantitative, can be in the form of a, a person, another person in the organization who just, you know, by virtue of their upbringing or experience or temperament, tends to spit the truth as they see it. Right? There's any number of different ways of maintaining an element of truth or accuracy of opinion. But it's on the individual leader to make sure that they stay connected to the responsibility of looking out for the organization and to constantly be asking themselves, okay, is my relationship with this person blinding me to the fact that they are now net-net below the average standard that we require. So hope that helps. Uh, just was some couple thoughts I was kicking around from that joint coaching session I was doing. And as always, I hope that these conversations, one way as they are, <laughs> serve to help you think about things in a different way and serve to challenge you to perhaps expand your area of awareness. And obviously, if you are getting benefit from it, I would love it if you would share with those that you think would also benefit. And of course, while you're there, you can also like, subscribe, follow, leave a review or, you know, whatever else we're doing in social media these days. We're not totally up to you. Until next time, take care of each other.